I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill. I'm here with my old buddy, Across the table, guard dog Steve. Yes. And we all knew who was going to be across the table. Hello, everyone. I'm glad to be here again. It's Bill and Steve, ready to talk scriptures. Bill and Steve, a couple Beautiful new creations. Thing. Yeah, amen. Well, guard dog Steve. Yes. 53 podcasts. I think. Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, we haven't done the actual extra podcast, the anniversary the, podcast. The one year. Yeah. Are we too? Well, let's see. There's 52 weeks, but we did three or four extra one special podcasts. So we might have another week. Yeah. This off. Maybe this will be the anniversary podcast. Truth be told, we have absolutely no... Not a thought in, in our minds. Direct- <laughs> yeah. We're completely blank. I was kind of waiting on you, and yeah. it looks like you were kind of waiting on me. I think, to tell the truth, I think we should do something like the Greek grammar, like some actual dry, how the Bible's structured and what counts for what. What I'm talking about is like, indicative statements and imperative statements and nobody knows what I'm talking about right now but I think we should get a handle on just what those statements are and how they affect the reading of the Bible because they do affect your reading when you're reading the Bible and you come across an indicative statement which the indicative statements are where you get your doctrines from the actual Bible is teaching you something when it says an indicative statement. So it's important to read when you're reading the Bible to know, oh, I just came across an indicative statement, a statement of fact, something like the power of sin is the law. That's an indicative statement. What's it mean? It means that the power of sin is the law, that when you bring up the law and try to do the Ten Commandment mentality, you're giving sin its power. It's an indicative statement that says the power of the sin is the law. It's indicating that the law stimulates sinful activity. Exactly. Exactly. So it's good to know 
what an indicative statement is and what an imperative mood is. And just some of that dry stuff really turns into an eye opener. I mean, you read, it may be dry while you're learning it, but when you're reading the Bible, it becomes fascinating. It does. And I would say for quite a long period of time in my Christian walk, I had verses and they became like prescriptions. If you were fearful, here's this verse. Obey this verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, prayer and suffering. So I would get the verse, be anxious for nothing. Okay, I'm anxious. Mm -hmm. And then guard dog Steve say, hey, Bill, here's a verse. This will help you with anxiety. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, okay. Stop being anxious. It is a an imperative, right? It's, it's telling an me to be imperative mood, yeah. But it's also indicative. Mm-hmm. It's telling you be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication let your requests be known to God and the peace of Christ that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It's not really telling me what to do, Steve. It's telling me who I am, that I am led by the Spirit, that I'm a a child of God, and I can let the peace that the Spirit has. See, it's the Spirit that has the peace, not me obeying a command that says, don't be anxious. Right. The the Spirit has peace. the, The Spirit would have to calm you down and give you the peace. You can't humanly just say, I'm going to fight off anxiousness in my own human strength and get the job done. Everybody knows that that doesn't work when you're up at two or three in the morning and you're trying to tell yourself to sleep, but you can't get these worrisome thoughts out of your head. It doesn't happen. You cry out to God, God, who will rescue me? God, help me get to sleep. Help me stop worrying about tomorrow. I don't want to worry about tomorrow. And it's ultimately the spirit that comes in that allows you to not be anxious. It's like when it says rejoice in the Lord always, that little phrase in the Lord means the opposite of rejoice in your own human capability to rejoice. means use the Spirit's power to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. They say it over and over and over and over in the Bible. Do this in the Lord. Do that in the Lord. Do this in the Spirit. Do this in God. Do this in Jesus. Do this. Abide in Jesus. All those phrases, it it almost gets redundant. What you have to realize is that then you hit an imperative mood that a command that doesn't have that phrase in it, but it's been so well established how you do it. You just take it for granted that it means in the spirit because you you don't all of a sudden just go, oh, well, this is one for my human effort to do. It's all in the spirit. That's what you're saying. The imperative mood is all for the spirit to do. Yeah. So, for example, in Colossians, it says, put to death in whatever belongs to your earthly nature or your old self. And it gives a list. So do I go, okay, I got to stop 
doing this covetous, covetous, covetous desires. But so instead of me saying, okay, put to death whatever belongs to my earthly nature, I can look at it as stop doing that. But right after he he says put put on the new self. The new self is what is going to put off the old self. Let me give you another verse that says the exact same thing. If by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. That's an indicative statement. That's also a conditional clause. It is a conditional clause because if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will have the Spirit's life. You will live. Zoe life. Now, if I go to the Colossian ones and I, I just read put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Right. And I do it by just saying, here's a, I'm something I need to do. Just do it. What difference does it make how it gets done? The important thing is it gets done. No, the important thing is you cannot, in your earthly nature, put... The human nature will not put the human nature to death. It will not kill itself. The human nature has got a self-preservative <laughs> instinct in him. Matter of fact, I hope everybody knows that the human nature is actually the sum total of all self-preservative instincts. It wants to keep itself going. It wants it wants eternal life, but can't have it. And it just wants to stay alive. So it wants everything that it could possibly get. That's why it covets. That's why it desires. That's why it lusts. It just wants things because ultimately it wants life itself. And it's not even able to do so. It is not able to put itself to death. So when it says, put off your human nature, it's Don't got, end it. Don't stop reading there. Right. You, well, you take the Bible as a whole and you go, put off your human nature by the spirit that you read in Romans 8. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, you've been taught so many times how to do these things. When you see it and it just tells you to do them, it's implied that you already know. If by the Spirit you do this, it'll get done. So in Romans 8, 6, when it says... If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, it's saying, if by the Spirit you will get anything done that needs to be done. That's why we have a new covenant. That's why God said, I will put my Spirit in each one of you and cause you to walk in my statutes. The Spirit that he puts in us will do it for us. That's the new covenant. It's a little Greek word. Three letters, D-I-A. Oh, yeah. Dia. Through, it's sometimes translated. Right. By means Means of. of. It's a huge word. It's a huge word. And I'll give you an example. This is lame. But if I was to say, guard dog Steve, go to California for me and pick up my sister and bring her back. Should take you about four hours to get there and four hours to get back, maybe an hour to go get her. So you should be back about 10 hours. But I didn't use that word dia by means of an airplane and you started walking there, you wouldn't make it there and back in 10 hours. Mm, If I told you to go to Hawaii, 
you would actually drown right before you got there. Right. So by means of is a big word. Yes. And so many times when you read a command, you'll see a dia word. And it'll usually say something like dia the spirit, dia the new man. Right? Like, I beseech you, brothers. Dia. Dia. The mercies of God. By the mercies of God, present yourself as a living sacrifice. It's not telling you how to be. It's not telling you to be a living sacrifice. It's telling you how you would do it. You would rely on the mercies of God. Dia. By means of the mercies of God, I'm telling you how to present yourself as a living sacrifice. It's God being merciful to you, killing your edemic nature, which is a self-preservative instinct, and allowing you to radiate the spirit. Put on the new man. Exactly. Just like the one we, we did before that. If by the spirit, if dia, the spirit, if by means of the spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. If I, if I don't have that dia in there, by means of the spirit. Oh, Lord, we're in trouble. Then it's if by human determination, if by an accountability partner that I'm accountable to give an answer to, if I made a commitment to, if I just really determined to do this, if if I give it my all, if I put my best foot forward, if I, you name it, it's probably not going. No. At least what does happen, if it does happen, it's like you mentioned last week, you get the pat on the back and that's your reward. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. You'll have spirit life. So when you see a command, they're almost always linked to a dia by means of, or and when, how you do it. And when they're not, it's implied that that's how you do it. Right. Be anxious for nothing is a command. But you would do that by the spirit. Right. And it, because it says, let the peace of Christ work in you. Yes. That's the by means of. Yes. Even though it doesn't say dia specifically. So even these imperatives start becoming almost indicatives too. Statements. Because they're, it, they're it, kind of how-to statements. And they're kind of who you really are. Yes. And don't live in what you were in God's sight, even though we, we covered that last week that an eternal point of view allows us the benefit to, for us to have the peace of mind. On a that, bad day. On a bad day. That even though we're doing these fleshly activities from God's point of view, his e merciful eternal point of view, they're past tense. He already saw that. And he calls it the old man. And he doesn't remember it anymore. His new covenant. That's why he created... All those do this, don't do that, do that, was tried for 2,500 years by Israel. And they proved to what should be you and I that it can't be done, humanly speaking. 
So we established a new covenant. I, I can't say that loud enough. We have established a new covenant. It's a new way of life. He said, I'll put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That is what we rely on. All the righteous requirements of the law will be fully met by those who walk, not according to the human effort, but according to the Spirit's power. Amen. Romans 8, 4. It should be a memorized verse that should be an anchor verse for the Christian. It is, and it's exactly why the letter came before the Spirit. And it's exactly why the law came before grace. Because it is necessary for God to destroy any confidence in human effort before he gives you the Spirit. If he doesn't, and he does say, put no confidence in the flesh. Living under the law, living under human effort, should teach you to put no confidence in the flesh. And that's why Israel was given the law to fail so that they would put no confidence in the flesh. They would put their confidence in the Holy Spirit to live their life and do for them what they can't do for themselves. In this sentence, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of your failures. That's what the law was there. In Galatians, it calls the law a tutor to teach you to depend on Christ. The law was a tutor. It's what it was specifically designed for, to teach you. Right out of Galatians, it says to teach you that you can't do it yourself. And it points you to Jesus Christ who can do it for you. The same Jesus that was saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's why it teaches us. You won't know, you won't appreciate rest until you're dog tired of trying to do something that you can't do. Fail enough and you'll finally try a new way of life, which Paul said, this is my new way of life in Christ Jesus that I teach everywhere in every church. He teaches a way of life in Christ Jesus, not in human determination. Do you see they're they're all trying to tell you we're under a new covenant. We're not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant whereby we rely on the Spirit to do it for us. And on top of that, we give the Spirit slash Jesus slash God the credit for what gets done. That's what Paul meant when he says to those under the law, I became like somebody not under the law, though myself under the law of Christ the judicial system of Christ, meaning I give the credit to Christ for doing it through me. That's what stores me up treasures in heaven. There's a reason we depend on the spirit because when the spirit does it, it stores you treasures in heaven. And when we give the spirit credit, it stores you treasures in heaven. That's what you want to do while you're here on earth is store up for yourself 
treasures in heaven and you do it by giving the spirit credit for what the spirit did and telling everybody they should rely on the spirit and actually when it comes to commands we think the commands are telling us to stop sinning and actually they are not in fact in Romans 6 Romans 5 and 6 probably the greatest 5, 6 and 7 and 8 are the greatest and 4 <laughs> no, I'm kidding are the greatest teachings on something called the sin which came about in Adam the sin entered the world through one man well it turns out the sin is a noun and the sin is actually a lie or a distortion based on something God did say created them in his image literally his mirror image to be like him the serpent tempted Eve and Adam because he created them Adam male and female to he the serpent tempted them and said are you well in Genesis 2 it says you're free to eat from all the trees in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you get to next chapter 3 the serpent says did God really say you cannot eat from the tree and Eve said we can eat from any of the trees she left out the word free which is freedom and she said we we can eat from any of the trees but she didn't say free but we cannot eat or even touch the tree in the middle of the garden for day you do it, you will surely die. And the serpent said, The sin, which is the lie, you will not surely die because God knows that they that when you eat of this tree, you will be like him, knowing good and evil. You'll have commands. You'll know what's good and what's evil. Which is not a total lie because we were created in his image, correct? Yes. In his likeness. But we were created to be dependent upon him, not independent upon him, which was the lie. So the sin is really believing you can be like God, but without God. And that's why the whole law was given to show you that you cannot be like God because you can only God can do what God can do. Yeah. If you are like God, what God is not in control. We are not in control when we're given the law because we can't keep it. Right. We're, we're out of control. Satan said the lie. Satan lied and said you can be like God and you don't need God. And the truth of the matter is, is we desperately need God. He gives us every single breath that we had. What if he said, here, I want to charge you for your, for air now? We'd be in trouble. We couldn't pay the debt. He gives us everything, even our breath. He gives us, he sustains us and he gives us life. He's the one who keeps us alive. Not ourselves and not our human abilities like Satan was saying. Oh, you could do it by yourself. But we can't. We can't. And that was the per whole purpose of giving us commands 
to show that we can art from him, we can do nothing. Say that louder. The purpose of giving the law, the 613 commands, is to show us that apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Zip. That means nada, huh? Zip zero nada. Yeah. We can do nothing apart from God because we can't even breathe apart from God. That was the purpose of the law, to lead us to cry out, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from this inability to be in control? Adam and Eve's immediate reaction when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was (laughs) just that. They found out they were not in control. And they were not the source of good. They found out what good and evil was, and they couldn't do the good. And you know what the feeling of not being in control is fear. And And they were fearful. Hiding from God. Hiding from God. Or Jesus. Which is a form of death. That's why he said, that day you'll surely die. You'll be so ashamed of yourself that you wish you could die. That's so therefore Adam didn't really die, but he became so ashamed of himself. That's what Romans seven informs us of that the mind of the flesh, the mind of the human nature, the mind that's got all the guilt and all the fear and carries that as a burden. He says the mind of the flesh or the human nature is death is death itself living and trying to fight for life and fight off that shame is the form of death that God was talking about in the Garden of Eden. Exactly. And like it says in Romans 7, I think it's 6, that I once was alive apart from the command or the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. And I felt ashamed and I felt naked, naked Naked and ashamed. Yeah. And a lot of of scholars say Paul was talking about the day of Adam and Eve back then. When the commandment came in, sin sprang to life. The serpent sprang to life and said, you don't have to obey that commandment. You can be like God. You can do it all yourself. But Paul in Romans 7 said, I certainly have found out that I can't do it all by myself. He said, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my human nature. I'm quoting the verse for the willingness to do good is there, but the doing of good is not. You can read it for yourself right in Romans 7. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my human nature. The wishing or the willing to do good is in me, but the doing of good is not. And he says it's because sin lives in me and it battles against me and it takes me prisoner to do what sin wants to do, which is embarrass you. You embarrass yourself all the time. You fall short of the glory of God. That's why we're not under the commandments 
anymore. He changed the covenant. Do you realize we have a new covenant and the new covenant is accomplished by the spirit and we give the spirit the credit for what the spirit does that stores us up treasures in heaven. It's a, a new covenant. It's a new way to play the game. God changed the rules of the game for us. So finally, we could have some victory. But the victory's by the power of the Spirit. So the law gives us the knowledge of the sin, but we've been released from that law yes. through the death of Christ. Reminds me of Hebrews 2, where it says, both him who sanctifies or sets apart or makes or equips to, to, to live by means of God is what sanctifying means. Both him who sanctifies and the one who sanctifies, that would be Jesus, have the same father. Therefore, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. But right before that, it says that how Jesus did this. He said that through death, his own death, he destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil, who perpetrated the sin or the lie on us. He destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil, who through fear of death, held us in bondage captive all our lives. All our lives. He held us in bondage to failure. So he mercifully put to death the deeds of the body. He put to death the old man. And he put to death the lie that you can be like God without God. Amen. And he put the idea, put to death the idea that God is ashamed of you because it is God who sanctifies you. So from now on in the new covenant, we see ourselves as sanctified vessels, which means everything God cleaned us up and set us apart for, which means sanctified, is going to be done through the spirit and never again by human determination, which is what the flesh does under the law. In fact, the, the two are incompatible. That, that's Paul's first argument in Romans seven fourteen. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. We can't keep it. That brings about great fear and great anxiety. That's where you get verses that I used to think were prescriptions like be anxious for nothing, it's not saying don't be anxious. It's saying by prayer and supplication, make your requests be known to God and the peace of who? Mm-hmm. Christ, Christ will guard your hearts and mind. Yes. In other words, it's all by the Spirit. All by the Spirit, anything that you're told to do is going to be accomplished by the Spirit. And the fear like it said in Hebrews 2, the fear of death. Fear of death is really a fear of the unknown. It's the fear of not being in control. There is a huge amount of fear in not being in control. 
and not knowing what's going to happen. What comes to mind, we talked about it last podcast or the podcast before, I think, when Israel was against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was coming at them with the 600 chariots when they sent out their Delta Force or whatever they, <laughs> they call it, special ops, to, to track these guys down and bring yeah. them back. It says great fear came over Israel. Now, they had just seen that God had rescued them and took them out of slavery. That's a picture of, of our Christian life. We've been taken out of a slavery to sin, captive to sin, and released into the freedom of the spirit. It's a salvific picture. Another <laughs> Let's see. Steve one, Bill zero. Okay. Let's see. <laughs> Israel was scared. Yeah. Israel was terrified. Yes. And isn't it just like us? That's the fear. That's the fear of, of death. The fear of knowing that you, you can't keep this covenant. Knowing that you're not in control. Fear and faith do have this in common. That faith is the evidence of not saying, not seen. Things not seen. And fear is also, but it's our wild imagined nation of things not seen but faith is a fruit of the spirit it's not something you work work out again it's it, not a again, human origin it's a dia by means of the spirit we have faith yes faith allows you to know that god is in control when he said you'll be like god but you'll be dependent upon god as you walk in the spirit you start really learning that you can really depend on God. Right. He's dependable. He's 100% like, dependable. Just like you would have been in the Garden of Eden. He, he was, yeah. And knowing that takes away the fear of the unknown. And there's... See, when we get down to it, we're really in control of nothing. Absolutely nothing. God is in control of every molecule in the universe great point. How do you make sure you have enough air to breathe them all? I don't. I can't. They just can't be done. God is metering that out for me, and he's going to give me the right amount of breath every time, all day long, and never miss a beat. He's dependable. Do you worry about the sun not coming up tomorrow? Nope. I, I don't worry about that. Do you have anything to do with it coming up tomorrow? Absolutely not. Or the sun setting tonight. You don't. No. We, we already live dependent upon God. But there's this, this lie that still lingers that we can, live, we can be like God without God. And that's where the law in the wrong hands with the wrong the, idea. The, the 21st century. Becomes destructive. Becomes destructive. When, when Even though Paul says... When, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is good. Yes. But in the 21st century, in the preaching and teaching right now, it's, you it's can do it by yourself, in your strength. It's worth being told that. I hear it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that I can do this 
and, and I should do this, and I hear that God would be ashamed of me if I'm not doing this. And all that is just not true, not in the new covenant. And saying that's not true is not saying that it's cool to do any of these things. Absolutely not, no. You make the point a lot. Go ahead and make it tonight. What is the point of good behavior then? Yeah, it's not to please God because he already established a new covenant where he would remember our sins and lawless deeds no longer. He would be pleased with the vessel that he has put Christ in. He believes the vessel is holy and blameless or Christ would not be in it. But the reason it's so important to be doing good is because that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit does good. And if you're not doing good, you're not manifesting God. And that is the purpose and the essence of the Christian life, to manifest God. That's the privilege of the Christian life, that you can be the vessel that God uses. But when God is using you, you are holy and good. So that's why you don't want to be seen as fooling around and not doing what's right, because that means you're in that crummy, crummy, edemic nature again, because he's the one that's the Yahoo. He's the one that's embarrassing. Jesus in you walks a straight line, and you can tell when you're manifesting when you're manifesting the Spirit of God because you are walking a straight line. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And there's more reasons that we want to do good, too. Exactly. One of the biggest contrasts to what you just said is Paul calls a group of people in Corinth, he calls them living letters, known and read by all men. Immediately after that, he starts hammering them for wanting to go back to the Mosaic Law in 2 Corinthians 3. He sure does. Another reason that you don't want to be misbehaving or embarrassing yourselves or doing less than the glory of God is because when you're manifesting Jesus and walking the straight line, Get a load of this, you guys. Get a load of this. This is what Jesus came down to earth to preach. He said, I came from heaven to earth to preach the kingdom of heaven. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. The kingdom of heaven is defined in Romans 14, 17. It's not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When you're experiencing the Holy Spirit, you're experiencing righteousness, peace, and joy. And that's what I want for everybody. That's what you wish for your friends, your mother, your brother, whoever you wish that they could experience heaven on earth. You wish that they can experience righteousness, peace, and joy throughout the day. Well, that happens when you're manifesting the Spirit of God. That's why he made a new covenant so that we could feel heaven on earth until heaven comes down to earth tangibly. 
But right now we can experience heaven on earth. We can experience the kingdom of God. And if you look up all the kingdom of God passages, you'll see that they're about a kingdom here on earth, never in the third heaven, all about down here. And there's three or four ways that make up the kingdom of God. The people that were around Jesus made up the kingdom of God. People that are in the spirit make up the kingdom of God. The church makes up the kingdom of God. All down here on heaven, but that one aspect of the kingdom of God, which is a sensation of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, is just the greatest thing on earth. You could say it's the greatest high that there is. It's awesome to be content. Paul said, I have learned the secret to contentment. And he said, I can, it's literally, I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can go through anything if I'm feeling the Holy Spirit, if I'm feeling the kingdom of God. They're the same. They're synonymous. If I'm feeling Jesus, I can do anything. That's why it is such a privilege to feel Jesus, that's why you do not want to see yourself misbehaving or you don't want to see your brother misbehaving because then you know he's not feeling the kingdom of God. You know he's not manifesting Jesus, which is the super privilege of all privileges. You you know he's stuck in his edemic nature. And that's all different reasons than God will get you if if you sin. God will get you if you misbehave. These are legitimate new covenant reasons and i don't hear them talked about by new covenant preachers on monday tuesday wednesday thursday i just don't hear them. i just don't hear it, it it's sad it or mixed. grieves me it grieves me that's awesome guard dog steve you just reminded me of part b of my thought a few minutes back good deal good my, deal my brain works that way sometimes. <laughs> that's cool oh yeah 2 Corinthians 3, you yourselves are living letters, didn't finish the thought, known and read by all people, by all men. Then he goes right on to, therefore you don't need to go back to the commandment. You're a living letter known and read by all men. And then he starts talking about, remember we're to be like God, but we are, no I'm sorry, we are like God, but we're created to be 100% 100% dependent of That's where we get our shine from. Moses got the shine when he met with God, but it faded because he was under a fading glory law. The word glory is a unique word. Sure is. Most people think of it as a glow. The Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory. <laughs> and it is, but it can also mean a weight. Or it can. A credibility. Mm-hmm. We say, go talk to that guy if you want something done. He has a lot of weight around here. So the weight that Moses had faded quickly as he departed from the presence of God. But it says, we with unveiled faces, as beholding in a mirror, reflect that same glory from glory to glory. From his glory, which doesn't fade, it becomes our glory. In the New Covenant, we carry the same weight as God because we live by the Spirit of God. 
therefore we have credibility we have weight so to speak we have glory we have a unfading glory glory that far exceeds any glory that the guy that wants to keep rules and regulations and commandments to live the Christian life. Oh, how he, proud of himself he is. And how much weight does he have? Still none. Because none. He, we know he's going to, it's just a matter of time he's going to trip and fall and right. fail like I did. A thousand million times. And you did even more. More. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was meaning me. That was funny. <laughs> so, I guess we should start the podcast. We were... <laughs> yeah, we haven't really started yet, have we? Yeah, this is a good conversation. Good conversation. No, I think we should in close in prayer. Yeah, it. it's why we say over and over and over... We have, we have these catchphrases, and we purposely say them, mm-hmm. that the Spirit can do, what is it, Steve? For you, what, what you, you can't, can't do, do for yourself. yourself. That's our probably our biggest one. We say it all the time. Because in a nutshell, it describes the abundant Christian life, the victorious Christian life. Mm-hmm. I want to say mine. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> are you oh. so foolish after having begun in the spirit? Are you now trying to attain the goal by human effort? Galatians 3.3. 3. Are you so stupid? Those are some harsh <laughs> words in Greek. It's coming straight to the chase. Yeah. Amen. Well, I tell you what, our dog Steve, I think we should pick this up. It's our purpose. Yes. It's our catchphrase. Yes. The Spirit just did in the last 45 minutes what Steve and I could never do for ourselves. That's right. So with that, we'll close in prayer. Father God, please allow us to live in the new covenant. Establish us in the new covenant. Let us get a handle on what the new covenant means, but root us in the new covenant so that we don't blow back and forth by every wind and every wave and everything that everybody says. Don't allow us to blow like that. Let us have our feet grounded firmly in this new covenant, realizing what the new covenant is about. Him doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. That way we can shine as Christians, Father. If you do that for us, we can all shine. We'll blossom as Christians. We'll be the Christians that we want to be. We will stop falling short of the glory of God. We'll make it. We'll actually be showing Christ. So we'll be doing a good job. We'll be living life righteous. You're the source of that righteousness, Father. So share that righteousness with each one of us and cause us to know that we depend on you for that righteousness. And don't let us keep trying and trying and failing and failing and feeling miserable about ourselves. Let us give up on that performance treadmill and let us get on your Sabbath rest, Father. Allow this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for a great year. Thank and you. We're looking forward to year two.
Yep. And we love you guys. We love you. Good night.